Now a Zen story. One winter day, a samurai came to Aisai's temple and made an appeal. I'm poor and sick, he said, and my family is dying of hunger. Please help us, master. Dependent as he was on widow's mites, Aisai's life was very austere, and he had nothing to give. He was about to send the samurai off when he remembered the image of Yakushi Buddha in the hall. Going up to it, he tore off its halo and gave it to the samurai. Sell this, said Esai. It should tide you over. The bewildered but desperate samurai took the halo and left. Master, cried one of Esai's disciples. That's sacrilege. How could you do such a thing? Sacrilege? Bah. I don't, I have merely put the Buddha's mind, which is full of love and mercy, to use, so to speak. Indeed, if he himself had heard that poor samurai, he'd have cut off a limb for him. A very simple story, but very significant. First, even when you have nothing to give, look again. You will always find something to give. It is a question of attitude. If you cannot give anything, at least you can smile. If you cannot give anything, at least you can sit with the person and hold their hands. It is not a question of giving something. It is a question of giving. This Asai was a poor monk at Buddhist monks are. As Buddhist monks are. His life was very austere. 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 Austere and he had nothing to give. Ordinarily, it is an absolute sacrilege to take the halo of Buddha's statue and give it away. No so-called religious person could think of it. Only somebody who is really religious would do it. That's why I say compassion knows no rules. Compassion is beyond rules. It is wild. It follows no formalities. Then suddenly, Esai remembered the image of Buddha in the hall. In Japan, in China, they put a gold halo around the head of the Buddha just to show the aura around his head. Suddenly, Asa remembered it. Every day, he must have worshipped the same statue. Going up to it, he tore off its halo 
and gave it to the samurai. Sell this, said Eisai. It should tide you over. It should tide you over. The bewildered but desperate samurai took the halo and left. Even the samurai was bewildered. He had not expected this. Even he must have thought that this was sacrilege. What type of man is this? He's a follower of Buddha and he has destroyed the statue. Even to touch the statue is sacrilege and he has taken away the halo. This is the difference between a real religious person and a so-called religious person. The so-called religious person always looks to the rule. He always think of what is proper and what is not proper. But the really religious person lives it. There is nothing proper and improper for him. Compassion is so infinitely proper that whatsoever you do through compassion becomes proper automatically. Master, cried one of Esai's disciples, that's sacrilege. How could you do such a thing? Even a disciple understands that this is not right. Something improper has been done. Sacrilege? Bah! I have merely put the Buddha's mind, which is full of love and mercy, to use, so to speak. Indeed, if he himself had heard that poor samurai, he'd have cut off a limb for him. To understand is something other than just to follow. When you follow, you become almost blind. Then there are rules that have to be kept. If you understand, then too you follow, but you are no longer blind. Each moment decides. Each moment your consciousness responds, and whatever you do is right. One of the most beautiful stories is about a Zen master who asked one winter night to be allowed to stay in a temple. One of the most beautiful stories is about a Zen master who asked one winter night to be allowed to stay in a temple. He was shivering because the night was cold and snow was falling outside. Of course, the temple priest sympathized and told him, you can stay, but only for the night, because this temple is not a hotel. In the morning, you will have to go. In the middle of the night, the priest suddenly heard a noise. He came running and could not believe his eyes. The monk was sitting around the fire, which he had made inside the temple, and one Buddha statue was missing. <laughs>
In Japan, they make wooden Buddhas. The priest asked, Where is the statue? The master showed him the fire, and he said, It was very cold, and I was shivering. The priest said, You seem to be mad. Don't you see what you have done? It was a Buddha statue. You have burnt Buddha. The master looked in the fire, which was disappearing, and poked the fire with a stick. The priest asked, What are you doing? He said, I'm trying to find the bones of the Buddha. The priest said, You are certainly mad. It is a wooden Buddha. There are no bones in it. <laughs> Then the master said, The night is still long and it is getting even colder. Why not bring those two other Buddha or Buddhas also? <laughs> of course, he was thrown out of the temple immediately. This man was dangerous. As he was being thrown out, he said, What are you doing thrown out thy Buddha out? <laughs> For the sake of a wooden Buddha. The live Buddha was suffering so much, I had to show compassion. If Buddha were alive, he would have done the same. He would himself have given all those three statues to me. I know it. I know from my very heart that he would have done the same. But who was there to listen to him? He was thrown out into the snow, and the doors were closed. In the morning, when the priest went out, he saw a master sitting near a milestone with a few flowers on top of it, worshipping it. The priest came again and said, What are you doing now, worshipping a milestone? The master said, Whenever the time to pray comes, I create my Buddhas anywhere because they are always all around. This milestone is as good as your wooden Buddhas inside. It is a question of attitude. When you look with worshipful eyes, then anything becomes divine. And remember the story about Asa is easy to understand because the compassion is shown towards somebody else. This story is even more difficult and complex to understand because he his because the compassion is shown towards oneself. A real person of understanding is neither hard toward others nor hard towards himself. Because it is one and the same energy. A real person of understanding is not a masochist. He is not a sadist nor a masochist. 
A real person of understanding simply understands that there is no separation. All includes himself is divine. All including himself is divine. And he lives out with he lives out this understanding. To live out of understanding is compassion. Never try to practice it. Simply relax deep into meditation. Be in a state of let go in meditation and suddenly you will be able to smell the fragrance that is coming from your own innermost depth. Then the flower blossoms and the compassion spreads. Meditation is the flower and the compassion is its fragrance. A desire is a desire, is a desire response to questions. Will you please talk about the desire to to help people? Its differences and similarities to other forms of desire. Desire is desire. There is no difference at all. Whether you want to help people or you want to harm people, the nature of desire remains the same. A Buddha does not desire to help people. He helps people, but there is no desire in it. It is spontaneous. It is just the fragrance of a flower that has blossomed, that has bloomed. The flower is not desiring the fragrance to release, to be released to people on the winds. Whether or not it reaches people is not the concern of the flower at all. If it reaches, that is accidental. If it does not reach, then too is accidental. The flower is spontaneously releasing its fragrance. The sun rises. There is no desire to wake up people, no desire to open the flowers, no desire to help the birds to sing. It all happens of its own accord. I like that. I like this one. A Buddha helps not a Buddha helps not because he desires to help, but because compassion is his nature. Every meditator becomes compassionate compassionate, but not a servant of the people. The servants of the people are mischievous. The world has suffered too much from these servants because their service is desire masquerading as compassion. And desire can never be compassionate. Desire is always exploitation. Desire is always exploitation. You can exploit in the name of compassion. You can exploit with beautiful names. 
It can talk about service to humanity and about brotherhood. It can talk about service to humanity and about brotherhood or about religion and God and truth. All your beautiful talk will bring only more and more wars, more and more bloodshed, more and more people will be crucified, burned alive. That's what has been happening up to now. And if you don't bring a new understanding to the world, it is going to continue in the same way. So the first thing to be remembered is that to desire is the same. Whether you desire to help or to harm, it is not a question of the object of desire. The question is of the nature of desire itself. The question is of the nature. It is not a question of the object of desire. The question is of the nature of desire itself. The nature of desire leads you into the future. Ah. The nature of desire leads you into nature. Ah, into the future. It brings the tomorrow in. And with the tomorrow come all the tensions, all the anxieties about whether you are going to make it or not, whether you are going to succeed or not. The fear of failure and the ambition to succeed will be there. Whether you desire money or victory in the world, or you desire to be compassionate to people, or to bring salvation to them. It is all the same game, only names change. This is fundamental to understand. A man asked Buddha, I'd like to help people instruct me. Buddha looked at him and became very sad. The man was puzzled, confused. He said, why have you become sad? Have I said anything wrong? Buddha said, how can you help people? You have not even helped yourself. <laughs> you will only harm them in the name of help. Oh my goodness, so good. How can you help people? You have not even helped yourself. You will only harm them in the name of help. Oh, I love that. First, bring the light within your being. Let the flame be enkindled in your consciousness. And then you will never ask this question. Then naturally your very pers your presence and whatever you do will be of great help. Desire is desire. There is no there is neither material desire nor spiritual desire. It is an ego trip. Helping people 
and you become holier than others. <laughs> you become wiser than others. You know, and they don't know. You want to help because you have arrived, and they are all ignorant people stumbling in darkness, and you want to become a light for them. You want to become a master, and you want to reduce them to disciples. If this desire is there, then this desire is not going to help them, and this, it is not going to help you either. It will do double the harm. It's a double edged sword. It will cut others and it will cut you too. It's destructive. It can't be creative. Then there is another kind of help that is not coming out of desire. Then there is another kind of help that is not coming out of desire, that is not growing out of any ego projection. That kind of help, that kind of compassion happens only at the ultimate peak of meditation, never before it. When the spring has come to your consciousness, when you are all flowers inside, fragrance starts reaching others. You need not desire it. In fact, you can't help it. Even if you want to prevent it, we can't prevent it. It is inevitable that it will reach to others. It will become a light in their life. It will be a herald of new beginnings. Not because you are desiring it, but because you are transformed. There is a Buddhist meditation called Maitri Bhavana. Maitri Bhavana. It starts by saying to oneself, May I be well, may I be happy, may I be free from enmity, may I be free from ill. From ill will against myself. After being pre penetrated by the feeling these thoughts generate, the next phase of the meditation consists in extending it to others. To start with, visualizing people you love and give, giving out this good feeling to them then doing the same with people you love less until you might even feel compassion for people you hate. I used to feel this meditation somehow opened me to others. But I dropped it because I saw in it the danger of it being some kind of self-hypnosis. I still feel attracted to this meditation, but I'm confused. 
as to whether I should take it up again, maybe with a different attitude or just drop it. Can you please speak about this meditation? I'll be grateful. Maitri Bhavana is one of the most penetrating meditations. You need not be afraid of getting into some sort of self-hypnosis. It is not. In fact, it is a sort of de-hypnosis. It looks like hypnosis because it is the reverse process. It is as if you have come to see me from your home. You walked along the way and now going back you will walk the same way. The only difference will be that now your back will be towards my house. The way will be the same. You'll be the same, but your face was toward my house while you were coming. Now, you, now your back will be towards my house. Man is already hypnotized. It is not a question now. Of being hypnotized or not hypnotized. You are already hypnotized. The whole process of society is a sort of hypnosis. Somebody is told that he is a Christian and it is so continuously repeated that his mind is conditioned and he thinks himself a Christian. Somebody is Hindu. Somebody is a Mohammedan. These are all hypnosis. You are already hypnotized. If you think you are miserable, this is a hypnosis. If you think you have too many problems, this is a hypnosis. Whatsoever you are is a sort of hypnosis. The society has given you those ideas and you are full of those ideas and conditionings. Maitri Vavana is a dehypnosis. It is an effort to bring back your natural mind. It is an effort to give you back your original face. It is an effort to bring you to the point where you were when you were born and the society had not yet corrupted you. When a child is born, he is a Maitri Bhavana. Maitri Banana Bhavana means a great feel of friendship, love, compassion. When a child is born, he knows no hatred. He knows only love. Love is intrinsic. Hatred will he will hatred he will learn later on. Love is intrinsic. Anger he will learn later on. Jealousy, possessiveness, envy, he will learn later on. These will be the things the society will teach the child. How to be jealous, how to be full of hatred, how to be full of anger or violence. These things will be taught by the society. When the child is born, he is simple love. He has to be so, because he has not known anything else. In the mother's womb, 
he has not come across any enmity, enemy, any enemy. He has lived in deep love for nine months, surrounded by love, nourished by love. He knows nobody who is in inimical, inimical to him. He knows only the mother and the mother's love. When he is born, his whole experience is of love. So how can you expect him to know anything about hatred? This love he brings with himself. This is the original face. Then there will be trouble. Then there will be many other experiences. He will start distrusting people. A newborn child is simply born with trust. I have heard. A man and a little boy entered a barber shop together after the man received the full treatment. Shave, shampoo, uh, manicure, haircut, etc. He placed the boy in the chair. I'm going to buy a tie. The man said to the barber, I will be back in a few minutes. When the boy's haircut was completed and the man still had not returned, the barber said, It looks like your daddy has forgotten all about you. That was not my daddy, said the boy. He just walked up, took me by the hand and said, Come on, son, we are going to get a free haircut. Children are trusting, but by and by, there will be experiences in which they will be deceived, in which they will get into trouble, in which they will be opposed, in which they will come afraid, become afraid. By and by, they will learn all the tricks of the world. That's what happened to everybody, more or less. Now, my tree my tri my tree bhavana is again creating the same situation it is a dehypnosis it is an effort to drop hatred anger jealousy envy and come back to the world as you came in the first place if you go on doing this meditation first you start loving yourself because you are closer to you than anybody else. Then you spread your love, your friendship, your compassion, your feeling, your well-wishing, your benediction, your blessings. You spread these to people you love, friends, lovers. Then, by and by, you spread these to more people that you don't love so much than to people to whom you are, you are indifferent you neither love nor hate then by and by to people you hate slowly you are dehypnotizing yourself slowly you are again creating a womb of love around yourself when a buddha sits he sits in existence as if the whole existence has again become his mother's womb there is no enmity. He has attained to the, his original nature. He has come to know the essential in himself. Now, 
you can even kill him, but you cannot destroy his compassion. Even dying, he will remain full of compassion towards you. You can kill him, but you cannot destroy his trust. Now, he knows that trust is something so basic that once you lose trust, you lose all. And if you don't lose trust and everything else is lost, nothing is lost. You can take everything from him, but you cannot take his trust. Maitri Babana is beautiful. There is no need to drop it. It will be tremendously helpful. It is a destructuring. The ego is created with hate, enmity, struggle. If you want to drop the ego, you will have to create more love feelings. When you love, ego disappears. If you love tremendously, and you love unconditionally, and you love all, then the ego cannot exist. The ego is the most stupid thing that can happen to a man or a woman. Once it has happened, it is very difficult even to see it because it clouds your eyes. I have heard. Mullah Nasruddin and his two friends were talking about the resemblance. The first friend said, My face resembles that of Winston Churchill. I have often been mistaken for him. The second said, In my case, people think I am Richard Nixon and ask me for autograph. Mullah said, That's nothing. Well, in my case, I've been mistaken for God himself. The first and the second asked together, How? Mullah Nasruddin said, Well, when I was convicted and sent to jail for the fourth time, on seeing me, the jailer exclaimed, Oh God, you have come again. <laughs> Once the ego has happened, it goes on collecting from everywhere. Sense, nonsense but it goes on feeling itself important. In love, you say, you are also important, not only I. When you love somebody, what are you saying? You may be speaking or not, but what is really deep in your heart, you are saying, whether in words or in silence, you are also important. As much as I am, if I if love grows deeper, you will say, you are even more important than me. If there arises a situation where only one can survive, I would die for you, and I would want you to survive. The other has become more important. You are even ready to sacrifice yourself for the one you love. And if this goes on spreading, as it goes on spreading in Maitri Babana, <clears throat> then by and by, you start disappearing. Many moments will come when you will not be there, absolutely silent, not any ego at all, no center, just pure space. Buddha says, 
when this is attained permanently and you have become integrated to this pure space then you are enlightened when this is attained permanently and you have become integrated to this pure space then you are enlightened when the ego is lost completely you are enlightened when you have become so egoless that you cannot even say i am you cannot even say that i am myself the word buddha uses for that state is anatta no being no being no self you cannot even utter the word i the very word becomes profane in deep love i disappears you are destructured when the child is born he comes without any eye he simply is a blank seat nothing is written on it later nothing is written on him now the society will start writing and will start narrowing down his consciousness the society will by and by fix a role for him this is your role this is you and he will stick to that role that role will never allow him to be happy because happiness is possible only when you are infinite when you are narrow you cannot be happy happiness is not a function of narrowness happiness is a function of infinite space when you are so spacious that the whole can enter into you then only can you be happy my tree bhavana can be a tremendous help